0: And God's people said, no one like the Lord. Thank you, Jeremy and team. A story is told about a beautiful monastery that is perched atop of a mountain or a cliff in the beautiful country of Portugal. Visitors who made it up to that monastery, uh, that retreat, they are rewarded with a magnificent view of the Portuguese countryside. There's only one problem. The only way to reach that monastery is to be hoisted by an aged monk up the cliff in a wicker basket, tied to a rope. Well, one day an American visitor, American tourist, decided to go up there, and he wanted to uh, uh, see it, so he showed up with his guide. Uh, They got up okay, being pulled by this very aged, gray-headed monk with this robe in the wicker basket. But as they were leaving, that same gray-headed old monk was lowering them down the precipice. And the basket began to swing widely to the right and to the left. And there is the rocky basin below. The courageous American tourist, now nervous wreck, with the wide swing, looked at his guide and he asked him, how often do they replace the rope? And the stone-faced guide said to him, every time it breaks. (laughs) Now, I want you to just visualize this with me. I want you to put yourself in the place of this tourist and imagine him sitting there in that wicker basket with the old man up there, and it's going swinging from left to right, from left to right. Think of how he felt as this uh, basket was swinging. Think of uh, what he was thinking, how he felt at that very moment, a moment of terror and a moment of fear. Would it break before we get down? Well, replacing it won't help do me any good, right? I mean, will I make it to the bottom? Replacing the rope with a new one? After I fall, it's not gonna be any good to me. Now, beloved, listen to me. I wanna tell you that this is precisely the way so many Christian believers live their Christian life. There are many Christian believers who live this, their Christian life like this tourist sitting in a wicker basket, they know they are saved but they're not sure of their eternal future. Uh, There are some who think that they are saved today, but will they be saved tomorrow? There are others who are certain of their salvation, but they're fearful what would happen to them when they close their eyes in death. Like this tourist, that visitor to the monastery, they are sitting in the wicker basket of life, wondering if the robe will break (laughs) before they make it to their destination. They live in a state of spiritual terror. I've met them, and you have too. Why? Because we're so used to hearing about products that are guaranteed for life, only that the manufacturer goes out of business in a few years' time. We're so used to seeing guaranteed product, when you read the fine print says, the one thing about that guarantee is it cannot be guaranteed. And that is why Romans 5, 1 to 11 will bless your socks this morning. Are you ready? Are you ready? Yes. Now, if this passage does not ring your bell, your clapper is broken. <laughs> if that does not set you on fire for Jesus, your wood is wet. Okay. Fasten your belt. Look at this incredible, incredible passage from the Word of God. He is telling us here that our salvation in Christ comes with eternal guarantees. Eternal guarantees. Not temporary guarantees, but eternal guarantees. In a moment, I'm going to show you from the Word of God, there are six guarantees that salvation, our salvation, come with But let me first remind you of the last message. For those of you who are not here, you can download it when you go home at apostles.org because you will be reminded of the fact that Paul is saying that we can only brag about the grace of God because it is only by grace that we are eternally saved, not by works lest any of us can boast. We saw also that salvation, salvation is a gift from God. God gives it to us as a gift. We saw also that the faith that helps us to believe is a gift from God, so that God does it all from beginning to end. And here in chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, Paul is anticipating the reader's questions. I told you before, Paul would have met a fantastic lawyer. I mean, he anticipates the opposition. He anticipates the questioner before the question is asked. If faith is by grace, if faith is a gift from God, then how are we going to maintain this faith? How are we going to maintain this salvation? How can we continue this salvation in the rest of our lives and then for eternity? How are we going to experience that salvation all the way to the end? Great question. Very important question. Can you see it? If salvation is a gift from God, does that mean that we can live any which way we want to live after we're saved? There are some people who think that once you're saved, you can live like the devil. There are some people who actually say it doesn't matter. Once you got salvation, you can live any which way you want to. And the answer is no, and a million no's. <laughs> the person who thinks that because they're saved, they can live any which way they, they, they live, they are not saved. Did you get that? Beloved, this type of thinking is rampant among some young Evangelical preachers. No wonder many of these churches are filled with non believers who will never become believers. They think that salvation is like an insurance policy. How many times have you heard that? That is, that salvation is like an insurance policy. They go and get that policy, but they pay the whole premium up front. So that way they can live recklessly. Now, let me give you something, tell you something. The only people who are happy for you to live recklessly after you buy the insurance policy are your beneficiaries. Hello. <laughs> Not you. One <laughs> do you any good. So, in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, Paul gives us the answer, and he tells us that the gift of salvation comes with sixfold eternal guarantees. I want you go with we'll go through these very quickly but why the question is why because your christian life was not meant to be lived like our friend in the wicker basket swinging from a high to low and not sure what's going to happen and you wonder if the rope is going to make it all the way to the end that's why he gives us this sixfold guarantees in the scripture now you can start writing because I want you, I, I want you to write this down. If you have an iPad, iPhone, whatever you do, write it on the margin of your Bible. Here we go. The first guarantee is in verse 1, it is peace with God. The second guarantee is in the first half of verse 2, chapter 5, it is having a favor with God. Three. The third guarantee is found in the second half of verse 2, and it is having hope in God. Fourthly, you guaranteed that you have a purpose in your suffering for Christ. Verses three and four. Number five, a guarantee of Christ's overwhelming love. Verses five to 10, the sixth guarantee is overwhelming joy. Verse 11. You ready? Are you ready? Can I start going through them now? All right. The first guarantee is our, of our salvation is that we would have peace with God. Look at verse 1. Therefore, remember the rule about the word therefore? If it is therefore, you find out why it is therefore. <laughs> therefore, because salvation is a gift from God, Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, this peace that he talks about here is in the present tense. Listen carefully. Why is it in the present tense? Because it means that peace you have with God, not dependent on your feelings, but it's a fact. Uh, This peace with God... Is not down the road, sometime. No, it is now, whatever the now is. This peace with God is not pie in the sky, in the by and by, but it is a reality. This peace with God is not on occasions when you feel peaceful. No, but always. Now, brother, you have to look around I and mean, you just listen to the news for a few minutes and you realize there is a desperation for peace in our world today. There are people desperate for a peace of mind, their peace in the home, peace in politics and society, and even internationally. Yet, the real peace of God can only come through surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Every human being without exception, every human being without exception, is born in a state of enmity with God, regardless of how they feel. They are born with a state of enmity with God. I did, and you did. Some time ago, a friend of mine was saying, you know, Michael, I'm not at enmity with God, I'm neutral about God. As a matter of fact, I don't fight God. Here's the answer, listen carefully. Just as those who have been justified by God have peace of God and peace with God regardless of how they feel, those who are not in Christ Jesus are at enmity with God regardless of how they feel toward God. Did you get that? Some of you probably are thinking and saying, Michael, Michael, but I have friends. I have relatives. I have neighbors. I know people. They're in my family. They really… Uh, don't feel at enmity with God. (laughs) They, they, They really don't hate God. In fact, they are ambiguous about God. Beloved, listen to me. The truth is this. There is no such thing. There is no such thing as neutrality toward God. Either you are a member of the kingdom of God or you are a member of the kingdom of Satan. You either belong to the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of hell. You are either for God or against Him. Hear me right. There is no dual citizenship here. (laughs) I know. Dual citizenship is legal now. But there is no dual citizenship when it comes between heaven and hell, Jesus and Satan. The most... Instant and immediate guarantee that God gives you when He gives you salvation is His overwhelming peace. Can I get an amen? Amen. Peace with Him. Peace within. And that peace, don't miss what I'm going to tell you, don't miss what I'm going to tell you, that peace is permanent. That peace is irrevocable. That peace is guaranteed by Christ Himself. I'm going to say more about this in a minute, but... I know that hundreds and thousands of you will testify to this fact that you have experienced the peace of God even in your darkest hour. I know I can. First guarantee is what? Peace. Or well, some of you got it. First guarantee is what? Peace. Second guarantee is a favor with God. I hear people sometimes. I want to say, God give us favor with you. God give us favor. You already have God's favor. You already have. Here it is, verse, first half of verse 2. Through whom also we have obtained access by faith into His grace, into His favor in which we stand. We saw in the last message that that grace, that favor, that unmerited and undeserved and unsolicited favor is unconditional. This grace, this favor of God is not just merely a proclamation or an announcement. No, 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 listen to me. It is an atmosphere in which we enter. This favor is a privileged posture in which we stand for the rest of our lives and for eternity. It is a privileged position to be in now and forever. Are you with me? Once you enter into that atmosphere of grace, once you enter into that atmosphere of the favor with God, you stay there until either Jesus comes back or you go and see Him face to face. Amen belongs here. I'm going to tell you something, and I pray to God, I pray to God, I pray it all week. I pray, all, I pray to God that you'll never forget. Don't forget what I'm going to tell you. You do not go in and out of that atmosphere of favor. Did you get it? You do not fall in and out of grace. Uh, You do not get in and out of favor with God. You know, politicians get in and out of favor with the electorate. (laughs) Yes, but not the grace of God. The nature of the grace of God is that when you enter it, you stay in it, all of your earthly life until you go home to glory. Please understand this. Understand, this is very important. (laughs) You do not stay in that atmosphere of grace by how hard you grit your teeth. You know what I'm talking about? Your spiritual teeth. (laughs) You do not stay in that atmosphere of favor with God by how high can you pull your spiritual bootstraps. (laughs) No, 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 no. It is because God himself it. Therefore, God himself sustains you. God himself holds you. God himself strengthens you. God himself convicts you when you sin. God himself forgives you when you confess and repent. God himself restores you every time you confess and repent. Here's, Here's an indisputable fact here's an indisputable fact. Listen to me. When the supreme judge of the universe declares you in favor, there is no higher court that can overturn that decision. <laughs> there is no higher judge that can overturn that verdict. There is no higher authority that can overrule over, that acquittal the very purpose of God's grace and favor is to free you from sin, not free you to sin. Are you with me? Yes. Listen to me. The person who said, hooray, now that I'm saved, I can sin freely, that person was never saved. Romans 6, 8, Paul says, having been freed from sin, we have become slaves to righteousness. Righteousness. The believer who is constantly doubting his, eternal, his or her eternal salvation, the, the believer forever going through doubts, and in and out of doubt, and, and stay in doubt, are doing two things. Listen to me. They're doing two things. They are giving the devil the chance to drag you back to sin, and they're doing something else. Uh, they are questioning the power of God, they questioning the integrity of God. Beloved, if salvation can be lost, then the ultimate trust is in us, not in God. Are you with me? First guarantee is what? Second guarantee is what? And the third guarantee is hope in God. Look at the second half of verse 2, Romans 5. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, let me explain this. this is The word hope here needs explanation. <laughs> when you make an appointment and you're going to see somebody, you hope that that person will be there when you go there, right? If you are organizing an outdoor activities, you hope that it doesn't rain. <laughs> if you're having a surgical procedure, <laughs> you hope... <laughs> It would be successful, right? But that kind of hope has nothing to do with the word hope here in Romans chapter 5 verse 2. The word hope here means a sure knowledge. It means a definite assurance. It means an absolute certainty. My hope or absolute certainty is based upon trust in God and His words and His promises. This absolute assurance, this certainty, this is guaranteed by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ Himself. That assurance makes me live in a state of rejoicing. It makes me live in a state of jubilation. Even when my whole world is falling apart, even when darkness surrounds me, even my circumstances are not all that congenial. Paul writes… Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 and 14 tells us why the reason you have that absolute assurance is because Paul said in Ephesians 1:13 and 14 every believer is sealed by the Holy Spirit and nobody can break that seal. First guarantee is what? Second guarantee third guarantee up in the balcony. Fourth guarantee, is there a purpose in suffering? Oh my goodness, you got it here. I mean, I didn't realize up here you can cheat. I I was wondering why you're doing well. I mean, he's a cheat. A cheat cheat, right? Oh good, that's all right. Get it any which way you can get it, Right? If you look with me at verse 3 and 4, we also rejoice in sufferings because we know that sufferings produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. Now, I need to give you an explanation about the word sufferings here because… This is not talking about the suffering of the aches and pains that we all experience in life, okay? This is not talking about fear and anxiety and suffering that way that many of us will go through certain periods of time. Uh, This is not the pain of disappointment that we all face from time to time. But the word suffering here is referring to suffering for the sake of Christ. Christ. And yes, it does not refer to suffering that comes as a consequence of our foolish decisions. I've experienced a lot of suffering that came as a result of foolish decisions that I made. That's not the suffering he's talking about. This type of suffering is the suffering that experienced by students, students, are you listening to me, students, whether you're a high school student, whether you're a college student, this is the kind of suffering that comes when you take a stand for Christ in your school or in your college, and then you get mocked. That's the kind of suffering he's talking about. When you take a stand for Christ and you pay a price for it. This type of suffering results from obedience to God and knowing that you are doing the very will of God in your life. And yet to suffer. This type of suffering comes directly from living, righteous, holy, and pure life before God. In Romans 5, 3, and 4, Paul said... This particular type of suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character. L- l- let's be honest with each other, okay? I, I mean, I am always up front with you. None of us, none of us, although some of you think that I really enjoy suffering. Um, that's not true. I, mean, I just disabuse you of that. And they say, Michael is a glutton for punishment. I mean, they call him every name in the book. Whole publications written against him, but, you know, I don't enjoy that. None of us really don't want to escape this type of pressure from, from life, even if it's false accusations. And most of it, in fact, all of it is false accusations. None of us enjoy the pain of rejection by the culture at large. But the other side of this, the Bible makes it clear that those who live a godly life will suffer. Can you say that? Will? Will, will suffer. suffer, not might suffer. Everyone who tries to live a righteous life will suffer. Some time ago, I read about John Wesley. John Wesley, as many of you know, in fact, my team, uh, on the 30th anniversary of the church, he gave me uh, a whole set of Wesley's original work. And, 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 and his, he and Spurgeon are probably two of my great heroes that I admire so much. Wesley suffered so much for the sake of Christ that became second nature to him that he really worried if he didn't suffer for Christ. And this happened one day. He was walking alongside the road, and he was thinking, he said, my goodness, it's been three days since no one has thrown an egg or a tomato or a stone, which he was used to on a regular basis. Three days, nothing happened. Nobody's persecuting me. Nobody's throwing anything at me. So he goes immediately on his knees right there in the countryside while he was walking. I said, Lord, is there a sin in my life and why I'm not suffering for you? And he tried to examine himself. And as he prayed, and he was praying, a peasant came by and recognized him. And he threw a stone at him. (laughs) It missed him by an inch. He immediately leaped to his feet and began to praise God (laughs) that he's okay with God now, that he's being persecuted again. You and I would say, Oh, thank God for those three days' break, right? <laughs> but not Wesley. He thanked God that he is paying a price for his stand for Jesus Christ. Suffering teaches us perseverance, perseverance produces character and character hope. One of the things that really grieves me is what I read about this generation. Now, of course, there are exceptions. There are exceptions in this church that I know of personally. But th- what I read about this generation is that they want everything basically handed to them on a platter. They don't want to suffer. They don't want to uh, uh, pay any price. They want it all now. I guess the notable exceptions, as I said, in this place I know specifically. But I'm talking in generalities. It grieves me. I fear that this generation that has not learned perseverance and suffering for the sake of Christ literally will crumble when the crunch comes, which seems to be coming, faster than any of us would want. I always, always testify to the glory of God and to my own shame in many ways. Uh, Standing up here, it's not only that I have the joy and the privilege of expounding the Word of God, I get the joy and the privilege of sharing the amazing work of God in my life. For some reason, known only to God, He chose to make me experience the situation of being a stranger in a strange country several times in my life. I was barely 19 years old, and I found myself all alone in a country of Lebanon. I literally at the time knew no one. Then wasn't long after that, barely 20 years old, I was a stranger in this big country of Australia, knowing literally no one, all alone. And you know, I thought I'm escaping from the Middle East and the persecution, and I'm in a Western country now in Australia, and I could witness freely from my faith. So, I began to witness to my work colleagues. I had a job on the third day of arriving into the country. Wonderful job. Loved everybody there. So, I was sharing Christ with them. And I thought, man, they will really be recipients. No way. I mean, I've only experienced rejection, mocking, and jeers (laughs) because I wouldn't join with them at the lunch hour at the pub in the reverie. And i I see them coming back after lunch, and I said, I don't want to look like that coming back to work. (laughs) One of them would say to me, Michael, you shouldn't have lunch because beer is a liquid bread. I said, Right. In fact, they called me names. I never knew what they meant, and I couldn't even find them in the dictionary. (laughs) I thought maybe it's an English word that I don't know, so I go and look in the dictionary. I'll move on. (laughs) But beginning those days, and even before that, I began to learn perseverance and paying a price for my walk with Christ. Then in 1977, my wife and two small children landed in that big country called California. (sighs) Knowing clearly, definitively, without a shadow of doubt in our minds, and my minds at least, that I'm following the will of God. We prayed and we prayed and we know that we're coming here and yet the hardships we experienced was not expected. Scholarship that was promised evaporated as soon as we landed. (laughs) I held two part-time jobs and studied and yet many times we did not know where our next meal coming from. God was teaching us perseverance. Even though we were at the very will of God, even though we did what we did in obedience to God, God was teaching us perseverance. In fact, uh, uh, we were what I call in God's scholarship program. Have you ever been in God's scholarship program? Now, if you've ever been there, you'll know what I'm talking about. <laughs> His scholarship program is filled with lessons and perseverance. <laughs> in fact, to add to this dilemma, my dilemma, is that my mother bringing us up, particularly I remember her clearly, hammering in my ears and in my heart and my head again and again and again, don't let your needs be known to men. only let your needs be known to God. Consequently, I learned through the years that I made my needs known only to my heavenly daddy. But also, my heavenly daddy wanted to teach me perseverance before he could meet my needs. And, my beloved friends, here I am, about to turn 70. I can tell you, not one time, not one moment did I regret that. In fact, I bless God. I bless God every single day, several times a day. The word perseverance here comes from the word that is used to refine metal, particularly gold. You know, when heat, particularly high degree of heat applied to gold, the dross in the gold rises to the top, and then the person, the metal worker would scrape it, and therefore you end up with pure gold. And here Paul is saying that if we are going to reign and rule the universe with Jesus Christ, He will purify us and make us become sterling. I know none of you like that. I don't like it any more than you do. But that's okay. I can see the look on your faces. (laughs) Said, hey, I don't want that. (laughs) It's okay. Don't miss what I'm going to tell you. Don't miss this. God does not effectively use people who have never learned perseverance. You notice I said effectively? Effectively. God does not effectively use people who have never been broken. God does not effectively use people who have never learned to lean on him alone. Look at the people who have effectively served God and honored God in the Scripture as we see them. Now, I'm not talking about the popular preachers who drew a big crowd. Uh, See, a big crowd doesn't mean effectiveness. Are you with me? Now, I, I, I am thinking about the people who have entered Faith Hall of Fame in Hebrews chapter 11. If you ask Abraham, he will tell you about the crushing experience on Mount Moriah. If you ask Jacob, he will tell you about the pillow stone in which he slept his nights. Uh, if you ask Jacob, if you ask Joseph, he will tell you about the Egyptian dungeon. If you ask Moses, he will tell you about the wilderness and dealing with Pharaoh. If you ask David, he will tell you about being hunted down by Saul. If you ask Job, he will tell you about the song in the night when there was nothing to sing about. Oh, but that should not surprise us. It should not surprise us. For it's only the crushed rose that gives off its sweetest fragrance. It is only the pain of childbirth that that the joy of motherhood is experienced. It's only the crushing of the wheat that makes bread. It's only the grain of sand that wounds the body of the oyster that yet, for out of that irritation comes a beautiful pearl. Suffering for Christ produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. And my beloved friends, character cannot be learned from a book. First guarantee here you go, you can can cheat. First guarantee. Second guarantee. Third guarantee. Fourth guarantee. The fifth guarantee is God's overwhelming love. Look with me, please verses 5 all the way to 10. You know what I have grown to discover? That the greatest problems with humanity is their inability to comprehend, to comprehend the love of God. I, I, I don't care how long you live you're going to find that that's, that is the case. People, they just cannot comprehend it. Some turn their back on it, some uh, you just accept it, but, but, but it's impossible to comprehend it. A- and part of the reason is because people love those who love them. So they think, oh, if only they love God, God will love them. Uh, other people think that uh, the love of God is dependent on us, uh, of how much we love Him or how much we uh, do for Him. But, beloved, if this is the case, listen to me, then our salvation is dependent on our treacherous hearts. And it's not. Thanks be to God, it ain't so. Look with me at verses 5 to 10. Paul tells us that God's love for us is not dependent on our lovingness. When we were utterly helpless To bring ourselves to God, He loved us. When we were utterly unworthy of His love, He loved us. When we were totally powerless to escape from sin and death, He loved us. When we were totally powerless to resist Satan, God loved us. When we were totally powerless to please God, God loved us, and He sent His Son to die our death. Listen carefully to verse 9. And 10. Here's what he's saying. If God had the power and the will to redeem us from the first place, how much more does He have the power and the will to keep us redeemed? Did you get that? Say amen. If He loved us when we were enemies, how much more does He love us when we are His children? If the dying Savior reconciled us to God, surely the loving Savior will keep us reconciled to God. Uh, if God had already secured our salvation and rescued us from sin and death, how on earth can He not continuously save us or our salvation can ever be in jeopardy? No how can a believer whose past and future salvation secure can be uncertain about the in between <laughs> if sin could not stop god from bringing us to redemption how can it how can it become a barrier to complete our salvation the first guarantee the second guarantee the third guarantee, Glory the fourth guarantee, the fifth guarantee, Glory finally the sixth guarantee is an overwhelming joy. Look at verse 11. In the last message again, we saw how the religionists, those religious people who are bragging about their good works, and Paul said, you can't do, your, you're bragging about the wrong thing. <laughs> You're bragging the wrong way. And Paul showed us in the last message how to brag the right way, to brag about Jesus and His cross and His salvation. And here he is telling us our gratitude to God for all He has done for us should give us such joy in life that nothing can take that joy away from you. Listen carefully. I'm getting ready to close because this is important. Every time Every time you are tempted to allow circumstances to get you down, every time you allow your circumstances to cause you a loss of joy, you must deliberately and intentionally focus on your peace with God, your favor with God, your hope in God, your purpose in S- His purpose in your suffering, His overwhelming love, and His joy is going to bore you every time. Will blow you up. So let me ask you as I conclude Are you experiencing some crushing circumstances? Only you, know, you and God know. Are you grieving so deeply over the loss of a loved one? Are you experiencing emotional pain that nobody seems to understand? Have you been rejected by the near and the dear? Have you been maligned for doing good? Are you experiencing ingratitude from those who should be filled with gratitude? Are you experiencing confusion or discouragement of any kind? None of that will stand when you compare it to the joy of your eternal salvation. Can I get an amen? Amen. Allow nothing and no one to steal your joy. Say that with me. Allow nothing and no one to steal your joy. Stand up and repeat it again. Allow nothing and no one to steal your joy. Give God praise. Give God praise. Give God praise. Unworthy as undeserving that we are, yet you give us the gift of salvation and comes with six-fold guarantees. We are ashamed of the way we react to this incredible generosity. Lord, forgive us. When we think our Christianity is to go to church late and leave early, forgive us, Lord. When we see it raining and stay home and watch online, forgive us, Lord. Lord, we are so sorry. We're so sorry of what we made of it because you. And you alone are the gracious, loving, faithful Father. We pray that you would not allow anyone or anything to steal the joy of our salvation because it is anchored in Jesus. And Lord, if there's a single person in this place or watching around the world who have never received that gift, never stretched their hand to receive the gift of salvation, May this day be the day. May this be the time that will change our life forever and ever and ever. Father, we know since salvation is a gift from you, we cannot earn it and we cannot work for it. We ask you in the name of Jesus, continue to give it to our loved ones, especially those who are in our household who do not know Jesus. Father, I pray that this week you may do great miracles in our households and that you bring the unsaved ones to you, that you begin to offer that gift of eternal life to so many of them that we have prayed for for years. Lord, we thank you in advance for what you're going to do because you are a mighty and great and gracious God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Let's go, Paul.